0: I'd like to invite Aviad Chai, professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, to the stage. Well, thank you very much, Lisa, uh, for inviting me. Um, I'm very happy to be here. I think I've, I've seen beautiful work and state-of-the-art sensors that... I feel are really pushing the boundaries of the uh, biological phenomena that we can measure you know at at the privacy of our own homes also and um, I'm going to use this uh, opportunity to present my research on injectable and implantable probes for directly recording neural activity both at the neurochemical level and for electrophysiology and uh, you know, I think if we want to gain deep understanding of how the brain works, how it processes information, stores memories, and also what happens when things go wrong when, uh, uh, in, in neurodegenerative diseases, we have to f- develop tools that allow us to record from the entire system. And I'll I'll explain why I think that. Um, So the first half of of this talk um, will involve molecular sensors that are injectable. Uh, I'll give examples of proteins that bind to neurotransmitters. And they work with MRI. They allow us to look at neurotransmitters in real time in large scale instead of having a, a point a measurement using electrodes we can have thousands of voxels where we can look at how uh, uh, neurotransmitters are being released transported the second half i'm going to present uh, a new type of of nanofabricated uh, structure it's a passive structure uh, it's a coil i'll explain a little bit of, uh, you know what this geometry can can achieve but the idea here is to have a device that can convert electrical neural activity to a magnetically detectable phenomena that can be picked up from outside of the brain. These devices are wireless, they don't require a wire, they don't require a power supply, this is why they can be small and the goal here is to allow us to inject these things, separate them from the silicon where we you know, make them initially, and then we're able to deploy them and, and hopefully also inject them. We all know that this is a, this is a very intricate system, the brain. Um, it has billions of uh, um, computational units, the cells, the neurons, that communicate with each other across uh, many different anatomical regions. Uh, Fundamentally, they communicate via membrane potential changes. These are the action potentials, the spikes. Just to focus us, we're talking about millisecond scale uh, events. This is uh, recordings that, that, that are taken from the outside of the cells. This is a full action potential, 100 millivolt taken from the inside of the cell. Ideally, we want to tap into this communication grid and record from every and each one of these cells. And maybe later on, we can say, OK, there's a lot of redundancy in the system. I feel that right now, without a technology that allows us to do that, we're unable to to determine what is the type of data that we need to understand how the system operates. As I say, we're talking about many different regions in the brain. And very quickly also, each, uh, even the the smallest cognitive task involves many different regions within tens of milliseconds. Um, The state of the art right now, electrodes. They're invasive, but they allow us to record from single cells. With excellent uh, temporal resolution signal-to-noise ratio, we are able to record action potentials, <coughs> even synaptic potentials. The original electrode is made of glass. Uh, from the days of Hodgkin and Huxley, uh, to the days of Ervin uh, uh, Neer and Bert Sakmann, both uh, Nobel Prize winners, they perfected this patch clamp electrode that allowed us to penetrate a single cell and record those full-fledged action potentials. This is a pyramidal neuron amongst all sorts of other cells, and this is the glass pipette that we can manipulate into the cell and get this really precise single cell recording. But what you're looking at here is a setup that I think uh, Christoph Koch uh, talked about setups like this that they have at the Allen Institute. There's a dish here with neurons growing in the dish and you can see these really bulky micromanipulators. Each micromanipulator has these uh, glass micropipettes that are being manipulated into four different cells. You know, I think the Guinness uh, record is having ten of them, probably at the Allen Institute. Uh, but it's hard for us to imagine, you know, having more than ten of these, especially with a live animal. So. There are orders of magnitude difference between the sampling that we can do using these electrodes and the actual units that we are trying to record from. There come uh, uh, you know, microfabricated probes. This is an array, very famous array. Uh, you know, We heard from the Vis Institute where uh, Donahue is right now when he was in Brown at MGH at, uh, at Boston uh, with uh, um, uh, Lee Hochberg. They used this Utah array. Uh, to, you know, I think demonstrate one of the prominent examples of clinical use for these UTA arrays where they uh, um, implant it in the motor cortex of a tetraplegic patient and using a brain-machine interface, they can train the patient to move a cursor by modulating their own neural activity. So now we have, you know, an order of magnitude difference. We have 100 sites where we can record from. Again, the electronics, very bulky. Hard to imagine having more than four of these. Very invasive. I think the most important point is that they record from a very localized region in the brain. Other modalities, less invasive, EEG, MEG. Uh, They do not require drilling a hole into the skull. they can record from the cortex using you know, enough electrodes, or maybe even one or two is enough if you have the computational knowledge of, of making sense out of, out of the recordings. But they, they cannot sample from the deeper nuclei of the brain. Again, we are missing on a lot of action here. There comes the MRI. MRI does allow us, or it provides us with a volumetric readout Of the brain. You can get these beautiful anatomical uh, um, images, and you can also uh, uh, achieve uh, functional readouts, time lapse readouts. Using the blood oxygenation level dependent signal, we can look, look at blood flow in the brain. Functional MRI does not measure brain activity, functional MRI measures blood flow. It's indirect. In other words, it tells us that there's some region in the brain where something is happening, there's a metabolic demand, there's a a, a requirement for some energy, but it doesn't tell us what is happening in that area in terms of the action potentials, the actual code. So how do we address this difficulty? So I'm trying to develop what I'm developing and also applying Contrast agents, sensors for MRI that can be injected. They spread in the brain. And they are specifically coupled to neurobiological processes. They bind to neurotransmitters, to ions such as calcium. that are very important in neural transmission. And as I will show also, uh, um, uh, to voltage. This allows us to target specific neurobiological processes. And it allows us to use the three-dimensional capabilities of MRI to directly record what the neurons are doing, neurotransmitter release um, and and ionic currents. An example of one of these sensors is is actually a protein that was pioneered by uh, Mikhail Shapiro, my colleague uh, in in Alan Jasanoff's lab. He used uh, directed evolution and actually collaborated with Francis uh, Arnold in Caltech. He is now in Caltech as well. Uh, Francis Arnold just won the Nobel Prize uh, for for this type of work, the the directed evolution of proteins, engineering of proteins to do what we want them to do. So this particular protein has a heme group. It it has an iron nucleus. Iron is an MRI contrast agent. When you inject iron, it lights up, it increases the uh, uh, MRI signal. It was engineered to bind to neurotransmitters, to monoraminergic neurotransmitters, such as dopamine and serotonin. When it binds, it can uh, prevent water molecules from touching this iron. This is what we measure in MRI. We're actually measuring the magnetization of water molecules or the hydrogens of water molecules. You know, we're mostly water and, and that's the signal that we measure in MRI. MRI is kind of a wireless connection between the hydrogen atoms in our body and the um, uh, MRI hardware. So we have a sensor that kind of turns on and off when it binds to a neurotransmitter. So this is an example of an experiment where we are showing for the first time direct imaging of neurotransmitters using fMRI. This is a a side view of uh, a rodent's brain. And uh, we inject the sensor. We let it spread in this part of the brain. And in parallel, we have this electrode here. Now, the the sensor is spreading in striatum. The striatum is full of dopaminergic uh, uh, neurons. This electrode is placed in the area known as the medial forebrain bundle. It innervates this area with uh, dopaminergic nerves. If we're looking at the MRI signal in that area right now, just uh, an average, when we inject the sensor, the MRI signal goes up. Remember, this is is a sensor that lights up when there's no neurotransmitter. When there's a neurotransmitter, it'll go off. When we start stimulating, we suddenly see these time-locked decreases of uh, MRI signal. So we're we're looking at dopamine release in real-time. The cool thing about this is that we can now generate these real-time maps of dopamine release and we can suddenly get thousands of sites of recordings just by virtue of having a sensor that spreads in the brain and we can characterize a release in many different areas, and we can look at how different regions of the brain interact. Another example uh, that uh, we recently published was using a a variant of this sensor that binds to serotonin. These are three MRI images of different parts of the brain of a rodent. We let the uh, uh, sensor spread. And we can look at how serotonin is being transported in the brain from thousands of voxels. And the immediate applicability of this is looking at how antidepressants operate in the brain in real time. These animals are kind of a data set of animals that were not treated with any drug. These animals were treated with fluoxetine, also known as Prozac. Immediately you can see how the transport of serotonin, which is what uh, uh, you know uh, Prozac does, it inhibits the reuptake of serotonin. We can immediately see in different regions what happens, what the antidepressant is actually doing. So these are are two examples of, you know, we have a tool, we have a new tool to look at neurotransmitter dynamics in the brain at large scale. In, in the second part, I'd like to show you how um, we can use nanofabricated probes to convert neural electrical activity to a magnetically-detectable phenomenon. And I'm using uh, techniques that you know I've used in the past to make arrays of electrodes. These are nanofabrication and microfabrication techniques. These are the same uh, uh, fabrication processes that we use to make uh, CPUs, central processing units, in your phones, in your uh, computers. They're just on a finer scale sometimes. How do we connect between these types of devices to MRI? As I said, the... the, uh, Bold signal, normal fMRI signal is, is related to blood flow, hemodynamics. If we can think of a device that is, it operates like an antenna. It has, it's basically a coil. If people remember you know, kindergarten electromagnetics, we're talking about an LC circuit that resonates. It has a capacitor and an inductor. This is how you make something resonate. MRI also works at a certain frequency. It depends on the magnetic field of the scanner. You know, if you think about an MRI scanner, a human MRI scanner of three Tesla, all of the hydrogen atoms in our body resonate at a certain frequency. It's actually 123 megahertz. So it's like, it's like a radio. You need to tune your hardware to 123 megahertz. The, the genius that found, out, found that out is Larmor. This is why this frequency is called the Larmor frequency. There were other people that realized that as well, but I guess he was the person that had the, the best PR back then. <laughs> um, but uh, if we can think of a device that is also tuned to the MRI frequency, it has, like I said, inductor and capacitor, but it also has some sensing element that's connected to the antenna. This sensing element is a transistor. Now, for those of you who are kind of have a little bit more knowledge in electrical engineering, a transistor can act as a switch. It can, it can detune this antenna. So, when the, this device is tuned to the MRI frequency, it'll light up. If the sensor, the transistor is sensing something, it detunes this antenna and the signal goes down. It's another off sensor. It's a little confusing, but that's that's what we do. It's, this is not this is actually a simple idea. It's like the RFID that we use to open doors, to to pay uh, for products. Uh, this RFID also is tuned, and the important thing is that it doesn't have a battery. It doesn't need a battery. It gets its power from the reader when we enter our labs or. Our offices, if you have a a card reader, the the power is supplied by the reader. In the same way, the power for the the device that I'm describing here uh, harvests the power from the MRI hardware. When we undergo an MRI scan, we have surrounding us an RF coil that sends this millisecond pulse, radio frequency pulse. That that 123 uh, uh, megahertz pulse with some features that we won't get into. In the same way, we can, uh, you know, tune a device to that frequency and gr- harvest that power. So we don't need to harvest that power, and, uh, 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 and we we don't need to have an onboard power for this device. We can harvest it. The other important feature here is that. It's wireless, we don't need a wire. We're, we're, we have a backscatter type of communication here. So suddenly, if you remember the electrodes, their the difficulties with the electrodes is they, they're invasive, they need uh, wired connectivity, they need a power supply. Uh, we're, we're trying to avoid using uh, or needing these types of features in our device. We are interacting with the with the, uh, you know the hardware of of the scanner. So this is kind of a if we look at the proof of concept of this type of device. This is just a normal water sample. This is how we test things in the MRI. It's called a phantom measurement. Again, MRI measures water mostly. By the way, for those of you who know, we can measure other nuclei, but mostly medical imaging is is. Uh, measures hydrogen, sometimes fluorine. So, this is a water sample. The device is here. Why can't we see the device? Because it doesn't have any water. We're measuring water. Um, So, the device is right here. And around it, when it's tuned, the signal is like a halo. Because it's tuned to the MRI frequency, it amplifies the signal, the magnetization of water molecules right in you know, near the, the actual antenna. If we apply voltage to this transistor, we can turn it off wirelessly. So we can perceive that if a neuron uh, or a nerve tissue is connected to the sensor, and there are many, many different sensors that use field effect transistors to sense neural activity, but not wirelessly like that but using the, this, those same technologies, we can imagine how a neuron can turn on and off this thing wirelessly. Again, we were, when we were off, completely off the resonance frequency, and for those of you who kind of want to you know, focus on what they're, they're seeing, this is the frequency response. You know, I always... I try not to get technical, but um, I want to right now, but the, the, this is the frequency of, of a, an animal scanner, 400 megahertz. It's a 9.4 Tesla high magnetic field. We're not using that for humans because it's a little uh, more dangerous for us. We're a little bit more delicate, I guess. Um, it's tuned to 400 megahertz. That's where most of the energy is being harvested. When we detune this, the sensor with voltage, we're, we're getting an offset from this frequency. So what can we do with this? This is an MRI image of a, a, a cortex of a rat. Again, a sagittal view. We implant the sensor on the cortex. It's right here. Initially, you see a halo. The signal is amplified no wires, we implant it, we close the, the, the brain, and, and that's it. You can see how the signal is modulated by electromagnetic fields, in this case, photonic fields in this particular paper. We have some work where we're sensing um, uh, voltaic fields. You can see how this device changes the MRI signal. So now we have this type of wireless little device that can modulate the MRI signal more wirelessly and can sense electromagnetic events in the brain. This is a preclinical experiment. But you know what? This device is actually not that small, right? I mean, we're talking about millimeter scale, okay? We want to make these devices cellular scale so that we can more easily deploy them, inject them, hopefully inject them. So what do we do? The idea is to use nanofabrication technologies where we still have an antenna. This is a coil. It has some capacitive properties, so that means that it resonates. And it also has a transistor. This is a nanowire transistor uh, where the, the, the sensing element is so small that you actually can't see it here. Well, you may see this little wire. This is the nanowire. This is where the sensing occurs. So we can sense at the cellular scale. We have a a device that is roughly 50 microns. I want to make them even smaller, obviously. But we can conceive of separating this thing from the wafer, from the silicon substrate, and being able to inject it maybe in the blood when we get to around a few microns. Okay, 50 microns is going to clog some arteries, and we don't don't want that. uh, but we can, we can conceive of something like this and this is kind of where this is going. And the end goal is to have a whole bunch of these things, these devices, easily deployed in mass scale instead of, you know, maybe 10 electrodes with their bulky uh, uh, um, electronics. We want to use this with the other tools that I've shown that we, you know, we can use proteins, molecular sensors. So we're kind of creating a toolbox of injectable and implantable sensors that will allow us to read from large volumes of the brain. Hopefully, you know, delivery is a problem for these things. Uh, it's well known. I'm experimenting with delivery uh, uh, methods like focused ultrasound, etc., to 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 break the the so-called blood-brain barrier. But you know, kind of. If, if you think of the concept here, we're trying to deliver them throughout the brain and get a direct readout of electrical and neurochemical activity from the entire brain. I don't know if I have time, but there's another. I have five minutes? Two minutes. I have two minutes. I, you're going to have to wait uh, to my next paper. But uh, suffice it to say that. We're also exploring other modalities, and uh, I'm sorry about the flickering uh, data here, but we can use coils that are, they don't work with the MRI. They, they work as, just as a magnetic transducer. This is a squid magnetometer. A squid is a superconducting quantum interference device that's used in MEG. Um, MEG uh, devices are these huge doers that have 300 of these and allow us to record from 300 uh, sites in in human uh, uh, subjects. I use one to just show that we can look at a cellular scale coil. And when it's uh, coupled to neurons, if you can see this, but there are these cortical neurons all over the place, most of them connected here, this interface pad. This is kind of a reference pad. If you can think of a a voltage difference between these two pads, we we can generate currents, small ones, that are converted to magnetic fields just by virtue of the geometry of this coil. Any coil where there's current running through it will generate a magnetic field in the middle. we can use nanofabricated probes with other non-invasive modalities, such as uh, MEG, and make these injectable or implantable MEG sensors that also allow us to maybe more easily deploy these sensors throughout the brain and again, work towards uh, a whole brain direct readouts of uh, neural activity. This is kind of the me- proof-of-concept measurement that I've uh, made where we're recording an action potential with no wires, just by using the squid on top of this uh, coil. I'd like to, you know, thank my colleagues, advisors, mentors, students. Uh, Daniel Pellenker sitting here. Uh, thank you for joining me, and um, you know my funding. Uh, And I'd like to thank you for listening. I hope you found this uh, interesting. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask. Thank you.